Hi there. My name is Mireya Perez, and I aspire to create a platform where language service providers can tell their stories and where listeners can find inspiration and creativity. This podcast is dedicated to you, the language professional that desires to listen to the journeys of others in order to create their own path and personal branding. Here, I'll feature an array of guests from all fields of interpretation, as well as translation, willing to share their stories with you. Join me as we embark on professional and personal development by telling our stories. This is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 14 of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. This is your host, Mireya Perez. I'm going to keep this intro pretty short, you guys, because I want to jump right into introducing our two guests that are here today to speak to us about team interpreting. I'll begin with Ernest. Ernest Nino Murcia is a freelance interpreter based in Des Moines, Iowa. He received a BA in Anthrolinguistics from Brown University. As a state and federally certified court interpreter, he has interpreted legal proceedings and prepared translations, transcriptions, and expert witness reports, testimonies for clients in the private and public sectors. Outside of court, he has interpreted for public figures such as Newt Gingrich, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. As a speaker and trainer, he has presented live and online sessions for interpreters on topics such as ethics, skill building, vocabulary for interpreters through organizations including NIGIT, the University of Arizona's National Center for Interpretation, and the U.S. Department of Justice, among others. He has also presented to groups of attorneys, judges, and court interpreters about court interpreter issues. Additionally, Ernest is a Jeopardy! champion from 2012, whose greatest achievement on the show was beating an attorney to the buzzer to answer co-defendant in the 11-letter words category. Go, Ernest! Our second guest is Vanessa C. Marcano Kelly, a native of Caracas, Venezuela. She is a certified court interpreter in the state of Iowa, owner and lead linguist at Caracas Language Solutions, LLC, since 2015. She is also a contracted translator with Principal Financial Group, a Fortune 500 company. Vanessa specializes in community, conference, and legal interpretation, as well as translation, subtitling, and some voiceover work. She began regularly interpreting and translating during her work as a community organizer for Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement from 2012 to 2014. And a year after realizing her passion for this profession, she obtained the Iowa Spanish Court Interpreter Certification, which she has held since 2015. Vanessa's interpretation and translation experience is varied and multifaceted. Vanessa is the 2014 recipient of the LULAC Iowa Latino Leadership Award, a 2014 graduate of the Latina Leadership Initiative, and a 2015 New Leaders Council Fellow. She graduated with honors with a BA in Global Studies and French from South Dakota State University and received a Judiciary Interpretation and Translation Specialization Certificate from Des Moines Area Community College. She serves on the board of directors of the Des Moines Film Society 
and the inaugural board of the Iowa Migrant Movement for Justice. So, without further ado, here's Ernest and Vanessa. Ernest and Vanessa, thank you so very much for having accepted the invitation to be on the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I'm super excited to have you both here today and for us to get started with our conversation on team interpreting. How are you all today? Wonderful. Thank you for having us. Pretty good. Thank you for having us here. This is so great. This is the first time I actually have two people at the same time. And so um, this is going to be an extra interesting podcast session. But I'd like to begin our sessions by asking my guests a little bit about yourselves personally. So I'd like to start with Ernest. Ernest, what can you tell us about your background, about where you grew up? Tell us a little bit about your story. My name is Ernest Nina Mercia, and this is my story. I was born actually, and it's, I almost don't like to tell people because it's such a long, complicated story and it brings up a lot of other questions uh, that sometimes I just don't feel like answering. But I was actually born to two Colombian parents who were living abroad at the time. And so I was born in Japan. I lived in, my, in Japan for the first two years of my life and I had a Japanese babysitter. And so my parents tell me that my first words were actually in Japanese, but very much, you know, two Colombian parents uh, and then lived in Colombia from between the ages of two and six, and then moved to the U.S. and have been in the U.S. since then, sort of straddling the two worlds, uh, speaking Spanish at home, and later using Spanish extensively in my professional life, at the same time that I went through all of my schooling and my daily life in the English-speaking world. And so late in my 20s, kind of during my quarter-life crisis, it dawned on me that I could use those language skills professionally. And once I got into interpreting, I really found that I liked it and ran with it. And here I am. Japan, huh? And now I have to ask, <laughs> what were those few first words in Japanese? You know, I don't remember, but I was certainly getting input because I was being watched. Like my babysitter was a, was an older Japanese lady who didn't speak Spanish, didn't speak English. And so that she was speaking to me. And it's interesting, actually, because I came back to it. I uh, In high school, my foreign language was Japanese. And so who knows? Maybe yeah. I still had some, maybe I still had some in there. How fun. Vanessa. My name is Vanessa Marcano Kelly, and this is my story. I was born and mostly raised in Caracas, Venezuela, and my story is kind of complicated because I have been going back and forth. Uh, I think half of my life I lived in, in Venezuela, and then the other half of my life I've lived here in the U.S. So I came here when I was around 12 or 11 or 12 years old, and then lived here for a while in like Florida and other states, and then went back to Venezuela. Venezuela is a very complicated place. Everybody knows about all of the turmoil that's going on. So um, that's why some things happen. And then uh, I went back to Venezuela, finished high school there. And then came here for a little bit of college, then some issues, political things that happened in Venezuela allowed me, uh, didn't allow me to keep studying at that time. So I returned to Venezuela. I went to journalism school for seven semesters. And then I decided to come back here to finish studying because I ended up, I think part of my identity really uh, formed here in the United States. So I wanted to, to come back. So I went to study global studies in French in South Dakota, South Dakota State. Woo. 
And then uh, I ended up in Iowa because of a job offer as a community organizer for uh, an organization that worked on immigrant rights and, and Latino issues and things like that. And that's actually where I began interpreting and translating a lot, even though at the beginning, I think many of us interpreters and translators have had to, at some point in our life, maybe interpret for our parents uh, if, we're, if we were uh, immigrants at a young age. So that happened that sometimes when I was little, I would interpret for my mom and things like that. But then in this job as a community organizer, that was part of the job. It was actually interpreting people's testimonies, um, you know, with with legislators or translating little newsletters in Spanish or press releases, things like that. And that job was really stressful. <laughs> but what I really liked was interpreting. Sometimes we would do conventions and conferences and things like that. So that was, I would say, the best school of interpretation that uh, that I ever attended just those two years as a community organizer interpreting kind of guerrilla style. And um, one of the things, though, that I would want to mention about my childhood that I knew that I would at some point just always work with languages was that when I was little in Caracas, I hated um, cleaning my room. But when I did, I would set up things just so as if it were like a museum. And I remember one time that I put little all of the little things that I really liked, I put like these little letreritos. <laughs> letreritos, little labels or signs. And they were both in English and Spanish because I was thinking, okay, I mean, this is a museum and people are going to come by and they're going to be from all over the world. So at least, you know, the courtesy would be to have the you know, little identification of these little items that I'm exhibiting, having them in English and in Spanish so that they can understand. And I, I always thought of this ability to speak both languages um, because my mom and my dad were really wanting to make sure that, that I always had bilingual education, even in Venezuela. Um, I thought that this ability to speak these two languages was like a superpower or something really special. So I remember that part of when I did that, and then I think of back of it, and I was like, huh, that's really interesting. That's cool. So That is cool. I love yeah. that. I actually, a few episodes back, had someone who is in the gaming localization, and his whole theme was your bilingual ability is your superpower. So there you go, Vanessa. You do have a superpower. <laughs> Yes. I want to go ahead and talk a little bit about, you know, how you got into, Vanessa, you just shared with us how the world of interpreting just kind of came to be. What about you, Ernest? How did you get it involved or begin to get involved with interpreting before your careers skyrocketed? How did you even begin in the mix? You know, I think that story begins even way back in my childhood, because I was a little boy thrust into a first grade classroom speaking no English. And so, you know, I was immersed in a foreign language and, and really struggled. And my immediate response, sort of a defense mechanism, I guess, was just silence. And so I was in danger of being held back and having to repeat the first grade. And then one day, my mother tells me the story that I just picked up the phone and started speaking English for, you know, breaking months of silence. Uh, because I just didn't want to learn by trial and error. I didn't want to try to venture out into that until I felt comfortable that I would be okay with it. And so then the issue became not learning English, but maintaining my Spanish. And so my mother is a, a linguist who studies 
language acquisition and bilingualism. And so she was not about to give in to just speaking English to me or using me to work on her English. Um, and so she never wavered for a second. I, I went on strike for two years where I didn't answer her in Spanish, but she continued to speak Spanish to me. And then eventually I gave in uh, at about age 10. I went back to speaking Spanish because I, I, I think I just, she just wore me down. I just gave in. And so from then on, my, my life operated kind of in those two linguistic spaces, speaking Spanish at home, speaking Spanish with my family, and then having my schooling and all of, most of my friendships uh, operate in English. And so that was a, a theme. And I took Spanish classes in college and actually didn't, I, I did a gap year before college in Spain, partially to work on my Spanish, but mostly I thought it would just be fun to be somewhere and not have to struggle to learn the language. And then studied French all through college, did my semester abroad in a French-speaking country in West Africa, Senegal, and started my professional journey. Uh, and I initially did not work in interpreting. I think it's really interesting these days, actually, that you are, because there's more academic programs where you can major as an undergrad in interpreting translation, there are people coming out who have never had another job. And I think it's really fascinating talking to other interpreters of our generation or further back, where most people came to interpretation and translation as a second career. And so you get actors and uh, engineers and journalists. Vanessa was uh, trained as a journalist and all sorts of people. And it's always interesting to talk about and think about how those different skill sets then come into play as a, an interpreter. And so I initially started working out, working in education. Uh, I was sort of a academic counselor, teacher uh, for a nonprofit after school and summer program for uh, students, middle school students in New York City. And so in the course of that job, and then after that, I was a classroom teacher, just full on at a school. I, I was always using Spanish to communicate to Spanish speaking parents and always enjoyed it. And so the germ was there, but I hadn't quite had the light bulb moment where I thought, well, you know, I can just do that. I don't have to do any of this other stuff. I can just focus on, on translating and interpreting. And it wasn't until... I was back living at home at age 28 that I was kind of at a transition point in my life and I didn't really know what was next. I was ready for something new, but I didn't quite know what yet. And I stumbled upon an article in the student newspaper. I grew up in... Sounds like... that. Um, yeah. If you, if you think about it as like my life up until then had been sort of the initial training, right? But then the, the actual training and interpreting... I took on on my own just through, through reading and working through, you know, the interpreter's edge, which is what a lot of people use for, for court to get really trained up. And I knew I had really accomplished something when about a, a year into this, I actually corrected my mother's grammar in Spanish, <laughs> uh, which was amazing. <laughs> and and at, at that point, what she said to me was that she could die happy. Oh, <laughs> Let's get into what you both feel has been the biggest challenge that you had to overcome in order to get where you are today. And we will get into where you're at today because that's uh, it's such great information. But let's talk about what were those challenges initially that you had to overcome? Mm, so for me, I think... With the community organizing job, that was like a one, two, 
punch of um, of overcoming that that barrier or that obstacle, maybe. Uh, because I used to be a really shy person, and I'm still actually pretty introverted person. And but uh, you know, I fake it. <laughs> I fake it till I make it. Same. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think that once I I am familiar with people and I know them, then then it's fine, and I can just talk a lot. But at first, I'm like, huh, this is kind of weird. But with community organizing, you can't be shy at all. You have to establish a lot of different relationships very quickly if you want to um, you know, execute your campaign of, of whatever you're working with. And then at that same time, as part of that job, I also had to interpret. And I had to interpret in pretty high stakes situations sometimes. Um, during that time, I interpreted for meetings with people from the Department of Labor or with like state legislators and with uh, Representative Tom Latham, uh, who is a former representative of of Iowa in the U.S. Congress. And and we were talking about very serious situations and really having that responsibility of conveying people's stories, whether it was because they had experienced wage theft or they were having issues with immigration. And, And so I really took it upon myself okay, I really have to make sure that I'm really accurate and that I'm, I'm doing a good rendition of this person's stories because I'm their only voice at this point right now. So that was really important to me, but it just made me break that barrier of my shyness and my introversion. I just was thrown into it and I said, okay, this is what I have to do and this is how I would have to overcome and how to deal with stress. And, you know, on the weekends, I would just like sleep and watch Netflix and be in my little cocoon, and just recover from the entire week of having uh, had to be so extroverted and, and be in these situations. And actually, it was through that that I was able to then eventually reach out to to Ernest, who was I was organizing a meeting and I couldn't interpret. And so we reached out to Ernest or I, some other organization did, I think, to have him interpret that event. Is, and that, then was, I, is, is that how that came about? That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I have like an elephant memory. So like I, I, I remember things. Um, I, I remember that you were at this event. It was like. Uh, it was a it was a state congressional debate. Right? Yes. I remember because it was at the Unitarian Church on the South Side. Yes, and exactly. That's that's really interesting because I you're like the invisible hand in the background. I didn't yeah. realize that that was because you were you were there, but why couldn't you interpret it? I think it was because I just wasn't in the in the space or whatever. Um, and and I think I had to like prep my leaders. And I was like, I can't be prepping my leaders. Because usually that's what we did. But I think my co-organizer at that time, she was sick or something. So I was like, uh, I can't do this. So I have to prep my leaders. And so someone else had to interpret. Yeah. So, and and actually in the school world, um, that's it's a dual role. And we train what we call our family liaisons, mm-hmm. that slash interpreters. You mm-hmm. cannot be both at the same time because... Each one, each role, you know, it needs its own focus. Obviously, we know the interpreter side needs full focus. And so Vanessa did the exact thing that we tell our liaisons. If you need an interpreter at an event that you are going to be 
hands-on participating in coordinating, you need to request an interpreter. So good job, Vanessa. Yes, that's, exactly. That's, and and, and yeah. I was that and I was that interpreter that they landed on. And I don't know if that was your your referral or if I was just the the whoever they came up with. But I remember I think the contact was through LULAC because they were the one who yes. sponsored the debate. And so I, yeah. and I remember that, you know, not atypical. I, I showed up and I didn't have really very much experience doing political interpretation. And then there was no one there to interpret for. So I just yeah. sat there and, and watched the debate. But we did get to actually meet. And this was when you were at the pro- in going through your uh, certificate program here at the local yes. community yep. college. Exactly. Yes. So, so at that point, Vanessa, you were already doing the training for interpreting? I was doing it, but like, it was actually just in the back of my mind. I was, I was doing it because my mom told me like, well, you're interpreting and translating all the time. Why don't you get, you know, something, you know, some sort of formal training in it because you never know. And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, at that point I thought I was going to work nonprofit, um, you know, organizing forever, but bless them. I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't do that work anymore. (laughs) I think that's for the youth, but, but yeah, so, so I, I started doing that and another one of my, of my leaders or something said like, oh yeah, like you should reach out to, to this interpreter because like he's known through LULAC and I was like, okay, yeah, I need to do that because I'm going to finish his certificate. And then it's like, I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone who does this. So it's like, okay. So I reached out to Ernest on LinkedIn and then, and then that's another thing that I was like, okay, like the moments that define kind of your professional career, we talked and it was like, okay, this is what I did and blah, blah, blah. But he did like, he like didn't buy that. I was like a serious interpreter um, that I had been going through this like guerrilla type interpreting and in, in in community organizing, and he was like, I don't know. I mean, you say you're an interpreter, but like, have you taken this state you know certification <laughs> exam? And I was like, No, I didn't even know about any of this. Um, and long story short, I eventually like did it. I, I studied with another really good friend and, and colleague, um, and and I passed it on the first try. And then he was like, All right. There you go. You're serious. <laughs> now you're an interpreter. In and and I, I don't I don't I don't share that recollection exactly. I don't think I judged <laughs> I, I I don't think I judged you, but I think I would have maybe encouraged you to have gotten gotten some uh, some credentials to be able to expand and work in different areas. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I I you sure, know, I'm, obviously. <laughs> but like, you know, he's like so regañón, you know, right. but it's because of the teacher thing and it's always like, what are you doing? You should do that. And I'm like, "Oh, do your homework." Mm. Yeah. Ernest but, but, is not the villain. <laughs> I will I will say this though. Right, like a esas like tendencias regañonas, like the 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 natural instinct I have to give it advice or you know tell so make suggestions about a certain course of action that got you to take the the state certification exam before you felt really ready for it and you passed it on the first try. Yeah, no, that's true, and and I I appreciate that. You know, like you know, tough love, and it's appreciated, and that's what you know your your colleagues and your mentors do, and so it's like okay. Regañar, reprimand, or scold. 
totally <laughs> looked at me like, hmm, are you really an interpreter? <laughs> Which actually leads me uh, quite perfectly into the following question, which has to do with team synergy, because I totally feel it right now amongst the two of you. And I think that it's something that, you know, I do want to talk a little bit about. Your roads cross at an event where, you know, Vanessa is uh, having to deal with the intricacies of putting together an event and running, you know, running around behind the scenes and is tasked with assigning an interpreter for the event. And then in comes Ernest into the story. Talk to us about at what point, once Ernest has given you the okay that you are an interpreter, Vanessa, at what point do you both decide we're doing this together? Let's launch a team interpreting deal here. When did that happen? I'm trying to think about, I don't know, if you have an answer. <laughs> well, I, I think it came about pretty organically. And, and this is the thing, you know, I, I've been the, in my own career, I've been the beneficiary of good mentoring. And I really do try to support interpreters as they're as they're coming up and I think right away I recognize the tremendous talent and potential in Vanessa and so you know no me pongo a regañar a cualquiera like I don't I don't scold or give advice to just anyone if if I am doing that it's because I see that it's going to get you somewhere and that the, this is something that you should really be doing because I see where you can go with it and so I think right away from my conversations with Vanessa, I saw that her language skills are amazing. In fact, among the interpreters I know, among the people I know, just the fact that she was able to hop back and forth between the U.S. and Venezuela and have school and have college in both places means that she has an amazing vocabulary in both languages. And yeah. so that's the that's the raw material. You still have to form it and, and shape it and put interpreting skills on top of that. But I think right away I said, and I've, I said to her, hope trying to encourage and not scold but i said you know you could really and and we've we say it constantly the sky is the limit with the the language skills that you have and so once uh, vanessa got certified for court uh, we started working together actually in court and then because i i we we got along we became friends and I saw that we had a good rapport working together. We started bringing each other in on, on jobs. And so Vanessa, I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. this, but the, the first time you, inter you interpreted in a booth was this book talk that Sonia Nasario gave up at the school in Perry, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. And I remember that. And so, and so that was, that was my gig. And I brought you in as my partner because I wanted to get you that experience in a booth, but also because I knew that you would do a great job. And so, and that's just continued on from there you know, there's been jobs like the, what we're doing right now with the press conferences was your initial contact that you brought me in on. And so it's not been a, a one-way thing. There's, you know, any given job, you know, one of us gets it and, and is able to bring the other in because we know when you, when you have a partner that you can trust and that you have a good relationship with, that's one fewer thing that you have to worry about on that job. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, <clears throat> that is, is so important because then you don't have to, I think I get a bit anxious and I think we all do. We get anxious before any sort of assignment, like what are they going to throw at us? And it's like a constant problem solving. That's what interpreting is. Your brain is constantly trying to, to make meaning out of these, of these things and, and, and keep up and, and all these different things that you have to do. But then can you imagine having, and I've had 
recruited bad partners because either their skills weren't up to par or because they were amazing professional, but oh, like their rapport was just <laughs> not, they were just mean and terrible. And you're just like, oh no. And so it's, it's good to, to, to find someone that you know can do the job really well and that you can get along with and that you can rely on if, okay, like I'm in trouble, I don't know this word and this person's going to know it or, and, and you can do the same. And there's that mutual respect for, for the work of each other. And it's not, it's not like overbearing or, or anything, you know, that kind of icky or awkward kind of interaction. So I think that's, that's really key in an interpretation partner. And I think trust. And I think also, I definitely see Ernest as a mentor because I wouldn't have even gone on this path of becoming certified or any of these things. I didn't even know. And, and, and I had heard Ernest's names in the, in the community, but I was like, okay, I don't know this person. And then finally it's an event. So, so I, I definitely appreciate all of that, uh, that guidance and, and the fact that he does care for the interpreting community and making sure that interpreters that do have potential are being supported. So, so that's really good. Um, and yeah, man, I think after having had some awful partners, I'm just like, Oh no. Give us an example, <laughs> Vanessa. What, what, what was that uh, awful partner like? Um, well, so it was, it was, a uh, it just, you know, an interpretation that was pretty challenging and, and everybody had prepared and everything, but, just having a kind of a, a brusque kind of attitude, like a forceful attitude like that and, and coming in and just criticizing everything that you have done. Like if you've uh, made up a glossary and it's like, this term is wrong, this term is wrong, this term is wrong, this is trash and this and that. And then getting confrontational with the tech people and um, just be, oh, it was just, it was just really a uh, difficult situation. So, um, but then, you know, I saw, I saw that person, interpreting and I'm like okay they're amazing but ouch like I have to be psychologically prepared <laughs> to right. share a space with that person again um but yeah so or sometimes I've had partners that are very nice and I, very, I get a uh, really uh I get along really well with them but then when I'm I'm kind of hearing the the rendition I'm like oh, I don't know <laughs> so yeah yeah. Yeah. So that, think... that's, uh, sorry, Maria. I was no, just no, going to say that that's the needle that we're trying to thread, right? Vanessa, like we both want to mm-hmm. be excellent interpreters who are also a pleasure to work with in the yeah. or whoever our partner would be. Right. And so yeah. do you have to be difficult? Do you have to be a diva to, to reach mm-hmm. that level? And that's what we're trying to avoid. Right. Yeah. And I think it kind of just, it meshes together with, you know, uh, just not everyone can necessarily work in a team, obviously. I think that just goes even beyond, you know, the interpreting field, right? And so it really does make a difference, which is why when you do see a team of interpreters and um, you feel the, the synergy between them just because, you know, of the way everything is flowing, I think even even if you are a great interpreter and your renditions are on point, the fact that you're coming in that strong I think you lose opportunities that you didn't need to had you just known how to be a team player or work with the team. So that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about that, the importance of that synergy between uh, two people when they're doing team interpreting, because I think it does make a difference even while you're there. 
Absolutely. And I don't know if you want to take it here just yet, but I think when you talk about the rapport that you have with the team interpreter, doing it remotely is that much more challenging. And so Vanessa mm-hmm. and I have, have worked, you know, the press conferences that we're doing now, we are within arm's reach of each other, you know, there in person, but we've also done jobs uh, remotely you know, over Zoom or over Teams with a phone line that we're actually interpreting into. And so that adds another layer of complexity to this where you absolutely need to be on the same page with your partner because you don't have them right there next to you. Yeah, exactly. And I I think that that has really forced me to try to get my mental capacity to like expand even more. And that's why it's so important definitely to be in sync with the other person you know, right now we're dealing with Zoom and with monitoring each other and like the handoff and then also the glossary and the terminology. And sometimes when I I didn't have wired internet until recently (laughs) on my computer, so I would always get this really scary, your internet connection is unstable. And I'm like, no, that's so scary. (laughs) So so then, um, and then if on top of that, you have to worry about your virtual booth partner not being on the same page then you end up exhausted. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah. I love that. What types of projects have you both worked together? Just to name a few, because it sounds like you've done a series of stuff. Well, let's name some of those projects. Let's, let's see. Uh, the very first thing that we, that we did was a book talk uh, that was in a school auditorium. And so we were able to be in the AV booth. That was our way of doing kind of an interpreting booth type of thing. And I don't think we had a console. We were on wireless equipment. Mm-hmm. But I think we were running. I'm trying to remember. I think there was definitely a line being run out the window of that booth connected mm-hmm. to. So we, But we did have a feed from the soundboard, which I really insisted on. I think that was it. That was our, our line. Right. So it was not a state-of-the-art you know, like it was not purpose built for interpreting, but we made it work. And so then from there, we've gone to, there was the Bernie Sanders event where we both interpreted from behind the bar. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> well, the, I mean, it was in a, because it was held at an event space and they, they were not actively serving drinks. I mean, we just were, Aww, that was just the, okay. <laughs> that would have been cool. <laughs> that was, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't know that we ever actually tested to see if the, if the little like water gun thing that they have for drinks was working. Cause that would have been good for getting oh, a drink, yeah. getting a drink of water. It was not, and it was not a, a difficult job, you know, stressful thing. So that we would, would, would want to like drink at the end of it. Uh, <laughs> Cause we've, cause we've, you know, we've definitely had those. Uh, and then yeah. we've done, we've done the political stuff. We've done the remote stuff. We did the a conference in Chicago. It's, I, I'm only thinking of the recent ones. I think a lot of the really logistically challenging things that Vanessa did were bef- when she was working solo because she was doing it wearing the dual hats of activist and or organizer mm-hmm. and interpreter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Oh, and then but and then but here's the thing. So so Vanessa told you the story about how she started humble beginnings in interpreting you know, having to do consecutive on the, on the spot with no notice. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then from that, we've gone to being in a proper booth with a console taking relay. And so it's, it's, it's spanned that whole spectrum, right? Which is, it's awesome to to have. And and if you've, if you've done it where, you know, you show up to the event, you yourself are lugging, you know, three, (laughs) three rolling suitcases (laughs) full of transmitters and you're having to check all the batteries and you're having to throw out the headsets that don't work and you're 
you know, having to pass them out yourself. And then you go from that to being in a booth, you really appreciate it because you've paid your dues. Right. Yeah. Like I, I definitely, I see the, the contrast with some of the events that I did at the beginning. And even um, there was some strategic volunteering that I did that, that really helped me because a lot of uh, organizations saw me really take, they really valued the presence of, of a trained interpreter, that it was an event where I had come off of a shift working at a, at a community health center as an interpreter, and it had been really stressful. <laughs> and then I went to a community event, and it was like the chief of police and city council, and like there were 300 people there, and they had gotten an interpreter who was really nervous, and she really didn't know um, like what to do. They didn't have equipment, so they were doing this meeting, this community meeting, t- totally in consecutive, and it wasn't going well. And so one of my friends told me like. Vanessa, like, please help them. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so tired, <laughs> but okay, I'll do this. And I didn't even have a pad or anything. I didn't have like a boogie board because I had left it in my car. And so I was like taking notes on the back of a book, um, on the blank pages of this book, and then on some of the little ca- note cards that they had for questions. And so I was just doing this and, and these people were going on and on and on. And I had to tap them and be like, stop, I need to render this. And and so, the, so you go from that where you're just like, oh, wow. And then you go to, to what Ernest was saying, this, you know, you have a booth and you have a console and everybody's mic'd and, you know, you're doing relay and it's like, oh, the world as it should be. This is amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what? Seriously, though, if you haven't done the other one, you really can't appreciate. If all you've ever had is this silver spoon booth mm. and console and beautiful sound, I feel like you can't appreciate it as much. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think I need to change my career focus here, guys. Because, yeah, I think that it's something that even in the school setting, it sounds more like uh, that type of conference that Vanessa just just shared. Um, It's challenging, to say the least. What has been your favorite team interpreting assignment? I love all the stories that you guys are sharing. And I love just, you know, being able to envision all the stuff that could possibly go wrong. And yet, and yet, you know, you, you're able to give your renditions and be professional. But there has to be a team interpreting assignment that's your favorite. Can you think of one? No. Do you think it's the, do you think it's these press conferences we've been doing? Cause that's been kind of a, a grab bag and that's been something that we did over such a long time. Yeah. I think I would, I would say that. And I, I also really like that presidential forum um, last year that it was um, we interpreted for Julian Castro, Elizabeth Warren Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg and also representative and Ilhan Omar was there. So I was like starstruck, (laughs) but also it was this huge event and we were interpreting for people who both lived here in the United States, but also some labor leaders from Honduras who were telling their story. Uh, So I think that that was, I, I really liked that event as well. And it, it also, I just remember that it's like, you know, you plan for everything. We tested the equipment. We had someone who would hand it out. We had a table with the console set up and everything was great. And we had internet and we had everything and we start interpreting and 
soon enough, we start getting this kind of like hand signals, like I can't hear you from the, from the audience, because we had tested the equipment when there wasn't all of the band and the music and everything that was going on at the event all set up. We had tested it the evening before. And so there was no interference. But with all of that stuff set up, there was huge interference. And so we had to run while still interpreting because this you know, this event was just going a mile, <laughs> hundred miles a minute, yeah. you know? And so it was super fast paced. And so we were just kind of like walking kind of across <laughs> and trying to get everything moved to the spot where they could hear us and each other checking with the audience, like, okay, can you hear us now? Is it still, you know, interference or what's going on? And then eventually we were able to kind of settle into, okay, once again, but even though you had prepared everything, it was still like, oh no. Um, of course. I'm, I'm really glad you, I'm really glad you shared that. Cause that is actually, now that I think about it, that was super interesting because it was such a perfect fusion, right. Of the skill set that you have from doing organizing and interpreting, because if you don't know to adjust on the fly and to kind of improvise a solution, then you just stay there where you are getting bad sound, cross mm-hmm. your arms and curse the organizers, right? But we right. made it work, but we made it Please. work. And right. so I think you started on the mic. And so when we started getting that feedback from people that they were having a hard time hearing us, we just sort of thought about it for a second. And then I think I just gave you the signal and we were gone. And so yep. we, did not, we didn't have a table to go to. We were just walking and ended up standing next to the stage kind of floating in space but over the course of the day on the breaks and stuff we were able to bring the rest of our stuff over set up a little table figure out where we were going to be positioned because the pictures I have from that event and Mireya I can share some of them is you can see we're literally standing off to the side of the stage and you can see the candidate kind of over our shoulder right and so that's not the optimal setup and if we were doing it from scratch that's not how we would have done it but that's was the best solution available given the the circumstances because it was a huge room and we were trying to use wireless just F, you know FM transmitters and it, it just wasn't working. That's so. amazing. Well, I'd love those pictures and the ones at the bar too, please. I think those would be <laughs> those would be such fun pictures to post. You guys, in April of this year, you both were featured on an article from Iowa's News Now, the story that led me to you, actually, highlighting your work as team interpreters uh, covering the governor's daily news conferences on coronavirus. Talk to us about how that came to be. Yes. So that was there was a um, there's a woman who works at the Office of Latino Affairs here in Iowa. And during this entire pandemic, there has been there have been a lot of uh, concern about language access. Uh, especially to the Spanish-speaking community, because a lot of the outbreaks were affecting um, heavily Latino Spanish-speaking areas here in in Iowa. And I think that that was a really big push to get this information out to people um, regarding uh, this emergency, emergency declaration and public health issues. So she connected me with the people at Iowa PBS 
And so we had a talk over the phone and, and they said, okay, you know, this works and let's start doing this. Like, I remember that was like on a Friday and it's like, okay, starting on Monday, you're just going to come to the state emergency operations center, the SEAC, and we're just going to have you set up there. And as soon as I hung up, I remember that Ernest and I had been talking all that time, uh, like I think after the some of the Iowa caucus events that we interpreted and everything, and and with the Democratic presidential debates and things like that, we were like, oh man, like wouldn't it be cool to interpret these debates and things like that on TV? And it's like, yeah, you know, the dream. <laughs> and so as soon as I got off the phone with the Iowa PBS guy, I I texted Ernest like, oh my god. <laughs> can can you come along on this adventure? <laughs> it's our big break. This Iowa Public it. Television. Hey, I wish the law of attraction worked that quickly for me. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to look this up as we are, because uh, I, I still have it. This was like two, three months ago. This is what I remember about it. I was actually on a remote I was doing a video call, interpreting a video call to the jail, or maybe not even that. I was doing some sort of remote interpreting assignment. Oh, I, I was doing Zoom simultaneous. I was doing an attorney-client meeting over Zoom simultaneous, and this was one of my first ones, and so like that required my full focus. And so I saw that you had written, you had written something. You had actually called me, which you, you know, you and I are of the generation where we like avoid talking on the phone because we feel it keeps us young, right? Because that's like <laughs> such a millennial thing. It's such a millennial thing to not want to talk on the phone, but you called me. I had a missed call from you and I thought, oh, this must be something important. This must be and then, important. And then, and then you wrote me something like, this is our big break or something like that. But I wasn't able to engage with you right away because I was in the middle of an assignment. And then when I got off, I read what you said it's, and it was, they want us for the press conferences starting on Monday. And so then that's where we started to really work through all of the logistics of it. And initially they were saying that they would only have one of us because they were trying to limit the number of people that were there. And then, you know, less than a week later, we were on the news about it. Yep. That's such an amazing story. I love it. I love, I love where, where you're at Ernest at the time that, you know, she's sending you the messages and that you're trying to figure out what's going on. The whole point about, um, wait, if she's calling me, something's up, right? I have, I have it. I have this in front of me right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so we had, we, had, we had written earlier in the day talking about something completely different. And then at 3.15 p.m., oh my God. <laughs> which, is a, which is a running gag with us because that's what you wrote me when you found out that you passed the state exam. And that became yeah. a thing. That became a joke for us, right? Because <laughs> you, so, you were so shocked and you didn't want to take it. I remember this. You wanted to back out of taking that right. exam. So this is like, like, wait, wait, Vanessa, how do you say it? Because he reads it the way you actually say it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I love it. And I don't know where that comes from. That's a th- it became a thing, right? It's just like a text speak thing, right? <laughs> oh my God. And then all, all caps. So screaming. Our big break is here. Ha ha ha. And then a screenshot of the message of the email from the, the programming director from the PBS station. And then I'm, I'm site translating this now. I just talked to this gentleman and he wants to hire us to do interpretation for a weekly show on Iowa PBS that is sometimes live, sometimes taped. And then he was also saying that we can asking if we can do the 
uh, governor's press conferences, emoji of the person with their mind blown. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Is it everything that you imagined it would be? Oh my gosh. Um, You know, I sometimes gave some flack to broadcast interpreters because I was like, no, I wouldn't have said it that way, blah, blah, blah. They probably get tons of preparation or et cetera. It's really difficult, actually. So uh, (laughs) I I will swallow my words and I have tons of respect for anybody that is is doing broadcast interpretation, especially of, of anything that is live or even... Um, even taped shows because and, and debates even because this special show Iowa Press um, that that PBS does they actually ended up having a senatorial uh, primary debate that we ended up interpreting so it's like you know that, what you said about the law of attraction right <laughs> we have to keep that going <laughs> um, but 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 that you know that's that was really. I thought that was really challenging. I thought especially the debate was was difficult. And even the press conferences, even though we got some material to help us out, sometimes we wouldn't or we would get it like three minutes before and we're like, okay, well, um, and tons of numbers. And, and I think for me, really having the pressure of absolutely needing to be very precise because these are things that the governor is saying and, and that are public health matters and that large chunk of our state is relying on this information, um, you know, whether it's when our restaurant's opening or what is the amount of, of COVID cases or uh, what are the new measures, what are the new restrictions and these different things. So, um, and then, so I'm both an interpreter and translator. And so as a translator, everything that I, <laughs> I translate is just there and it's written and it's there, you know, forever. Whereas like with interpretation, when it's not broadcast or it's not recorded, you're just like, okay, you said it. And you can forget about it because it came out as it came out and then it's fine. But no, there's this record of every single day <laughs> how yeah. your performance was. And and so to, to answer your question, I think this was so different from anything that I had done, that we had done before, that I don't know that I really had an expectation really of what it would be like, but I just knew this is something that I've wanted for a long time. And this is something that I want to really, like they say in Spanish, this is something that I want to really grab with both hands, right? Take full, like suck the marrow out of the opportunity. And mm-hmm. so we, we, I guess without really knowing it, we set out on this journey and we started and everything that we've done is on a playlist. Uh, it's available on YouTube. And so I told Vanessa someday, maybe not just yet, we will sit down and just listen to snippets and to try to hear the, I guess, evolution over time. Because that first week, those first couple days, we were figuring it out. And so we did, we did fine. We didn't embarrass ourselves, but we were still figuring out that transition between court, for me, that transition between court and media, where your delivery and your just quality of your sound matters in a different way because you're trying to keep people engaged and not change the channel. You know, that's not how it works in court. They don't have the opportunity to just bounce over to the next courtroom if they don't think you're sounding good. You have a captive audience, literally a captive audience. And so figuring out and listening to those first few days was not fun for me to see that I was going too fast, to see that 
my breathing was bad because I was going too fast. And, but it's been an awesome journey to try to work and improve. And I think if you listen to it from start to finish, you, you will see improvement. And that was not by accident. That was keeping a glossary, touching base about terms, listening to ourselves, critiquing ourselves and each other and really deliberate practice. And so I think about the interpreter I am now compared to, you know, two months ago when that came about. And it's been such an awesome opportunity to improve. And I've really valued it. Yeah, no, I I agree as well. And I think that it really gave me insight into how I'm doing as far as performance and like where I'm at. And that whole thing that Ernest says, like, don't let them hear you sweat. Well, you can hear me sweat (laughs) in some of those first ones where I just sound kind of robotic and kind of like a... Like my trying to catch my breath, um, just because you're like fighting for your life, trying to get the meaning out, and it's and you don't, you know, you're you're just doing the bare minimum. It's like okay, I'm getting the information out. Is it sounding nice? No. Is it am I am I being able to hear my breath a lot? To then being able to even emulate kind of the tone of one of the speakers, which <laughs> it was funny in one of them that. <laughs> <laughs> that Ernest was doing um one of the <laughs> one of the one of the the speakers who um she has a, she actually has a very soothing kind of delivery which is I think nice coming from like the top epidemiologist in the state and she's just very soothing and just kind of like oh you know thank you for the question and things like that and very soothing and when I was listening to him I'm like oh man he's in the zone because like even his voice is sounding like oh you know this this and then there was one time where the governor made an interjection wait you should tell this okay (laughs) so this was this was a few weeks ago and I think it was on a, it was on a Friday, maybe it was the end of the week and they have guests video into these sometimes in person, but oftentimes they have guests video in depending on what the topic of the day is. So there'll be a business owner or the head of a state agency, or they had a guy uh, who was the owner of a chain of movie theaters talking about the the new measures they were going to take to reopen movie theaters, things like that. Right. And so the theme of the day, Uh, was graduations and how graduations were going to be modified so that kids could still have, you know, one of their big milestones of their senior year. And so their guests were two seniors, two high school seniors that were going to talk about how COVID-19 and how the pandemic had affected their senior, their last semester of high school and having to do classes online and having to face the uncertainty of whether there's going to be college for them in the fall and all of that. And so they came on and they spoke and it was totally fine. And then later on in the uh, press conference during the question and answer session, one of the journalists before asking his question said, I I first of all want to just praise the students who came on and spoke so eloquently or something. And the the governor, uh, Kim Reynolds, was really moved by it. And so she did this thing that you see in the Midwest, which is she kind of tilted her head off to one side and she said she didn't, it was nonverbal. She went like, aw, right? And so, which is a like a very Midwestern way of of saying like, oh, how cute. Or like in the South, they would say like, oh yes, bless their heart, right? And so I was, I guess, tuned in enough or just like when you're not hanging on by your fingernails to to capture the message, you can start to really think about tone and emulating it in a way that's not mimicking, right? And so in that situation where she tilts her head and goes, oh, 
I was able to say in Spanish and right away say, I see. But <laughs> a little, like, I did start laughing after, kind of just at, at myself because I, you know, I, I have a generally a deeper voice. And so this required me to kind of raise the pitch up a little bit. And uh, I don't know, I was, I was on the one hand happy that I had come up with something that was really naturally equivalent, but then it's not good because then you hear me kind of laughing on the microphone and I'm not laughing at her. I'm not laughing at her. I'm laughing at myself and kind mm-hmm. of the absurdity of the situation because the, the broad, the, the broadcast standard, like if you watch a presidential debate on Univision, a male speaker has a male interpreter and a female speaker has a female interpreter. But that's not the situation that we're in to be able to do team interpreting for this, for a female speaker. I occasionally have to step in. Yes. Vanessa, for you particularly, I think because uh, as soon as you throw it out there, it seems to bounce right back. Mm. Is there any exciting, <laughs> <I hope so. laughs> any exciting future project that you have on your bucket list? I would like at some point to, it would be wonderful to at, at some point be able to do something um, either uh, NGO level or, or UN level kind of thing. Um, I've actually had the pleasure of visiting and the privilege of visiting the UN both in New York and in Vienna. And when I was in Vienna, they did give us a little bit of a tour. There was something going on. They were talking about like the, uh, some climate thing. And, and so I was able to see some of the interpreters in their booths in, in the session and in progress. And that was so amazing. So something like that would be really cool for me to do. I don't know living where I live, but I don't know. I mean, why not? Why, why wouldn't that be possible? I think that would be really good. And I think I, it was really a good opportunity and, and a privilege to be able to, to interpret for, you know, the highest official here in Iowa. So that, that was really, that was part of my bucket list, I think, because uh, I had, I had interpreted with state legislators and some Congress people, but never the, the governor. So, so that was good. So I think that would be part of the bucket list. It's out there, universe. Yeah. And, and, and Bonnet, we're, we're still here. I mean, AOC mm-hmm. 20, 2028, they, they, they know you're here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> what about for you, Ernest? I think it, there's a couple of things and it divided up into kind of the hats I wear. So in addition to interpreting, I'm also an interpreter trainer. And so I love to teach. That's something that I brought over with me from my prior career. And so I don't know. I know, Mira, you, you've done some of my webinars recently. Uh, did you get, go to the one that we did for Zoom on Zoom for the University of Arizona? Or have you seen the video? No, I have not had the privilege oh. yet. I, the oh, okay. one that I did was the one for the equipment. equipment yes, and, the one and, 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 fantastic. And, and since then, there's all sorts of new equipment. I've got a throat microphone now so that I can interpret simultaneously and have my mouth covered. So I can wear a mask while interpreting simultaneously. And then we've got the little mixer that we can use for doing team interpreting oh, through yes. Zoom. And so uh, kind of in that vein, uh, I have a new venture with two other interpreters, uh, Tambor Hilton and Amy Benavides, uh, who joined with me to do the webinar for the University of Arizona on interpreting simultaneously through Zoom. And so uh, we've been doing, we did another webinar on remotes 
interpreting earlier this week and are now branching out into actual training. And so informally, we've been doing practice sessions with other interpreters on Zoom simultaneous, but we have our first, actually, when I get off with you guys here, uh, I'm going to be getting ready and we're going to have our first paid training session teaching somebody Zoom simultaneous. And that's something that we've really been working up to and want to continue to do because it's an interesting, amazing tool but does require a lot of work. And so being able to produce content and offer training is a big uh, achievement for us. And um, not just for Zoom, but also talking about technology, uh, some of the what you saw in the other webinar. And so for me, you know, I'm an only child. And in my career, apart from when I partner with people, but just generally speaking, especially in my teaching, I've been a lone wolf, but really being able to collaborate with other people and get feedback on my material and feel like I have to up my game because they're doing a great job in their sections of a, of a presentation has been really good for me. And I think just the accountability is really good because, you know, one of them commented in the, in the time that we've been working together, they've made more, we've made, we've gotten further than any of us individually have in terms of our, what we were trying to do individually. We, I, you know, I've had the notion to do a website or I've wanted to do some sort of my own training venture, but without any accountability other than to myself, it hasn't really happened. But you know, when you owe it to somebody else, it's more likely to happen. And then as far as interpreting, I would really like to do more work into English simultaneously because I worked really hard and I, I feel like both of my languages are really strong, but definitely I feel more comfortable interpreting simultaneously into English. And again, like Vanessa said, just for, for where I am and the kind of work I do, I don't really get to do a lot of simultaneous interpreting into English. And so that would be something that I would really love to do more of. Um, and so an immediate goal would be potentially uh, to test and to get on board with the State Department to do, and that's, you know, there's, you, you reach one goal and then there's always going to be something else. And so a lot of people, once they get federally certified, that becomes the next goal. And so that would be something I would really love to, to work towards. I love it. I think that, um, you know, for our listeners, I'd love to be able to include all those links to um, the platforms that you're doing these trainings with and um, so that they're able to even go back and listen to some of these previous recordings or previous trainings that you've done. And just to be able to keep on top of anything new that's uh, going to be rolled out, it'd be, I think, a wonderful experience for anyone that's listening because they are definitely great presentations. For me personally, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a completely different area, which is, um, you know, interpreting in K through 12 schools. And there's a lot of aspects that, you know, we have had to take on on our own because there really is no, as you guys know, no formal certification. We've got no associations that we can lean on and say, help us out. You know, we're struggling here. And so we've really had to take it upon ourselves to go out in search of these different trainings, you know, and looking at at certified federal interpreters, court interpreters, uh, conference interpreters. And so everything that has been put out there. I think that it, it has helped more than you guys can even think. It just, you know, it, it's really gone down to the level of, you know, interpreting in a field or in an area that, you know, it, we're not really thought of yet. And so um, it's helped us vastly. At least I speak for myself in our school district and our team of interpreters and how we've been able to present the work that we 
we do, um, you know, brand ourselves, but now remotely, but that's only been possible because of information such as yourselves and other people that have um, been willing to throw out there. Um, so thank you so much for having done that, Ernest. Thank you always, you know, for um, being willing to put information together and sharing it out. I think it, it, uh, it makes a world of a difference more than, more than you know. Where can our listeners find out more about uh, you and the work that you do? Um, for me, you can go to vanessacmarcano.com. That's kind of a quick and easy page or um, Caracas Language Solutions LLC on Facebook. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, but those are more personal accounts. I do talk about interpreting there, um, but you will get a lot of my private opinions. So if you want to go there, um, you can <laughs> seek those out. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so VanessaCMarcano.com or Caracas Language Solutions on Facebook. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn under my own name. Um, I don't do a lot of professional stuff on Facebook. I have a Facebook, but that's just pictures of my kids mostly. Um, and I have a Twitter, which I st- actually, it was the article that was done about us for the press conferences that led me finally to create a Twitter. And I'm, I've been really pleasantly surprised by how valuable it is as a networking tool. And so my Twitter handle is ENM underscore interpreter. Um, so you can tell what I want to use it for. And uh, I guess I'm putting this out there for accountability. We will have a website. We're working on a website right now for my training venture. And so it's going to be tealanguagesolutions.com. And so depending on how quickly you get this turned around, I think we're hoping within a week to have a website up of some sort. And so this is now force us to do it so that uh, I'm not putting this out there. And then people go and see, you know, under progress or something on the website. You've heard it here first, and so then <laughs> later on, if it's not up yet, then we can all we know we'll go to Twitter actually. <laughs> all you out there. <laughs> and lastly, are there any recommendations that you feel have truly helped you along your journey in your professional interpreting career? That you know you could sum up. I know that there's, I'm sure, an infinite number of things that you can name, but one aspect that you feel you'd like to share out there for any potentially new interpreters or those that want to explore out of the realm um, of interpreting that they're currently in. I, I want to piggyback on something that that Vanessa said earlier, which is something that I often think about, but I hadn't put a label on yet. Which is, I think she said, strategic volunteering. Is that what you said, Vanessa? Yeah. Yeah, I think especially when you're starting out, if you get the opportunity to work in something that you haven't done a lot, but that you feel you are ready for, that's the caveat. You have to feel like you're ready for it. Uh, Take it, even if it doesn't pay or even if it doesn't pay what you would want initially. But that that experience and that networking is going to be really valuable for you. Yeah, that's that's really good. I, I would also um, echo that. Um, I think that for anybody that is just starting out, even if you're studying or if you're a new interpreter, I think having a mentor, seeking a mentor is really, really important because they have they have done the work, they have access or know where to guide you as far as training and techniques and feedback and and different things. So I think that that really helped me. And I think that in whatever aspect of your life, even if you're not an interpreter, I think that finding a mentor is always a really good idea. But especially if 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 you see someone 
in your community that you know does does interpretation and they're very professional, just reach out to them. Use LinkedIn, you use you know Twitter or anything, and 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 say, hey, you know, I I just want to sit down for a cup of coffee and just kind of feel them out and see and see if they're they're willing to to engage in that way with you. I think that that's really useful and it has been really uh, positive for me. So that and be curious about technology and see what creative ways you can use technology, whether it's microphones, mixers, online programs, um, messaging apps and, and different things. I think that this pandemic has really taught me that we have to be super flexible and ready for everything. Most definitely. I just want to take the opportunity once again to thank you both for having accepted the invitation to come onto this platform and share your story and share this excellent bit of advice that I think is so very helpful. And I think that a lot of people are going to find it just super informative. It it has been one of the funnest uh, episodes that I've had thus far. So thank you for the opportunity once again, and uh, we'll be in touch. We'll stay connected. Thank you very much for having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you both. A fun episode indeed. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, despite the fact that it's over an hour long. But hey, time flies when you're having fun, right? Don't forget to connect with them on social media. Oh, and hey, don't forget to connect with me on social media. I'm still out there, ready and eager to hear your feedback and know what your favorite part of this episode was. Okay, lastly, and then I promise I'll let you go. I've put together a free PDF document that outlines five things you can do to create a TNI unit in your school district with, get this, a zero budget. Check it out under free resources at www.brandtheinterpreter.com. Well, that's all I've got for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Till next time. And remember, tell your story. Brand the Interpreter. Bye-bye.